All right, before we continue our study of the book of Philemon, let's have a little uh, review from uh, last uh, Sunday. But instead of me giving you the review, how about somebody just tell me some things you know about the book of Philemon that you might have learned? Yes, Roger. All right. The, the Colossian church met in Philemon's house. Very good. That's, that's a valid point. Yes, ma'am. All right. As, as, if you couldn't hear Tony. She says the book of Philemon is about Paul writing. Philemon, who is the master, about Onesimus, who is the slave that ran away. And it's all about uh, an, uh, Philemon accepting Onesimus back. That's the purpose of the letter. But especially accepting him back as a brother. And that's important. Why would I say brother? Emphasize that. Onesimus had become a Christian. And we talked about Sunday how, you know, you can see the providence of God because here's a man that um, fled from his master over a thousand miles away and ends up in the city of Rome with the big metropolitan that it was. And somehow or another, he came in contact with Paul, who was in prison, and he became a Christian. Yes. Oh, the, the, the books we could write about what might have happened. It might have been he got picked up because he was in a fight or something, and he got put in the paddy wagon. They took him there, and as they were unloading him, he looked over there and said, I've seen that guy before. He used to hang out with my master. Or it may have been he got in trouble, and the first thing he thought of, well, there's somebody in town that, that maybe I can turn to. Uh, we don't know what kind of relationship Onesimus had with Paul prior to this time. We know for a fact that uh, Paul had a relationship with Philemon. But you get the flavor from the book that Paul did not have a rela- really have much of a relationship with Onesimus because of the different ways he puts it. He talks about how that he is now these things as opposed to being something before. So we really don't know. Um, anything else about the book of Philemon? This is all good stuff. Y'all, y'all need to teach class sometime. Yes. Absolutely. And we know this from the epistle of Ignatius who was a man who was uh, martyred for his faith. You'll sometimes study about him if you take a college class on church history. And um, he writes about the elder of the church at Ephesus by the name of Onesimus, and, the, and, and everything he says about him, uh, everybody's pretty well certain that this is the exact same person that is being talked about in this book, Jeff and then Roger. Um, as Jeff alludes to in verse 2, it talks about Alphea, and Archippus, who most people believe is the wife of Philemon, and Archippus uh, more than likely was Philemon's son. And the interesting thing about Archippus, he's talked about in the book of Colossians as being uh, probably the preacher there. So Philemon's son is the preacher at the church at Colossae, which meets in his home. All right, all good stuff. Now, Roger, what do you want to say? Well, we gather uh, from the book of Acts that he, even though he was a prisoner, he was allowed to entertain guests and people came to see him. Um, he had that guard with him all the time, but he did have some freedom. Um, it might have been that they had the prison set up where the Romans had this big cell and whatnot, and they had this long table, and they put up this big glass, and people could come talk to him on the phone. <laughs> But somehow or another, he had, he, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like he was in a cell and never saw anybody because he obviously saw people. Well, they, they refer to it as a house, but that can mean a number of things. That can mean any kind of dwelling. It's, what the text says is in his own dwelling is what it says. And the idea is that he was not, he had a prisoner, he was a prisoner because he had a Roman guard with him all the time, but he was not like confined to a cell, whatnot. 
It's almost like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen so many of those old mobster movies when the uh, Don of the Mafia is in prison and you go by his cell and he has like a full stove there and a refrigerator and a TV and, he, you know, there's some guy in there cutting up garlic and making spaghetti and that kind of thing. Um, that's, maybe that's the kind of setup Paul had. I don't know. But anyway, good point, Roger. Anything else? All good stuff. Yes, Tony. Absolutely. Um, that's always been a quandary uh, why Paul writing to a slaveholder about a slave who is now a Christian, why does he not just tell Philemon, hey, you need to let this guy go. You need to quit being a a slave owner. And we talked about how that um, nowhere does Paul talk about that in any of his books. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament is it talked about, except for the fact, and it's funny, in the book of, of Colossians, he deals with the master and slave relationship, which is appropriate because he's dealing evidently with a church that had slave and master relationships because Philemon is there. But all he talks about is how that slaves should be good slaves and masters should be good masters is basically what he says. But it is odd that that horrible sin is not addressed, as Tony brings out. And we talked about last Sunday how that um, there was probably over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. They outnumbered freemen almost two to one. And um, Paul had uh, started telling Christians to revolt or told uh, Onesimus that his, his master was bad and he needed to fight against him. It would turn the world upside down and would probably cause Christianity to be known as just simply a, a rebel cause, if you will. But it is the gospel and being taught, the gospel being taught, that eventually does change the world. And um, because of the fact that the Bible talks about the equality of man. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. But all are one in Christ Jesus. That same Paul said those words. And that's what the gospel does. It makes us all one. Good point, Tony. Anything else? All right, so y'all will do well on the test when we have it. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Philemon. And um, uh, we got through the first two verses uh, Sunday. And we got, uh, of course, the setting of the stage of him writing this letter. And we talked about how, uh, as it is the custom of these letters, that you begin with who you are at the beginning of the letter because they were written on scrolls for the most part. And that way, immediately, the reader could know who was writing him. And um, not going to get into all the details again because we would run out of time again. But we got through verse 2, and we're now down to verse 3, which is also customary of letters back then. It says, Grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you've heard me talk about this in other classes when it comes to epistles that we have been studying. But grace and peace were very common greetings back then. Grace was the form that Greek people extended to people. And you still, hey, Austin, you still hear people talking about, um, about grace today as far as some greetings, especially in some other countries. And peace was the Jewish way of greeting people. Uh, even today, you'll hear uh, somebody on TV that's Jewish say shalom. Well, that means peace. And so you had, he's greeting, uh, oftentimes in his letter, as was customary with anybody living in that day and age, they would use both greetings because it would cover the Gentile world and the Hebrew world. Grace and peace would be extended, but here it has a double meaning. And the reason why we know it has a double meaning, because he doesn't just say grace to you and peace. He adds from 
God our Father and the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's the double meaning there? Are he speaking with authority? Let me put it to you like this. If I was just walking down the street and I saw Scott and I'll say, Hey, Scott, grace and peace to you, buddy. And this minute as a greeting, like, how you doing today? But if I went to him and it says, Scott, I want to extend to you grace and peace from God and his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what has happened? Changes from where it's coming from. And what those two words mean now take on a whole totally different meaning. The grace we're talking about now is unmerited favor from God. The peace we're talking about is the peace that passeth understanding. That only a Christian could appreciate. A non-Christian would hear the word grace and think, well, that's a Greek greeting. But a Christian hears the word grace and they think, boy, that's been extended to me. A Jewish person talks about peace. In a common conversation, they'll say, I want the best for you. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean a lack of trouble. It means I want the very best for you. But when a Christian hears it, he knows, well, I'm getting the very best from God. And so there's a double meaning here. So Paul uses a customary greeting, but he applies to it something very important. And you could even say there's an extra thing going on here. Yes, Tony. It's like you took the words right out of my mouth. Very good. Now, you notice we brought this up Sunday that Paul just doesn't come right out and say, Philemon, I want to talk to you about Onesimus. As far as Philemon is concerned, he doesn't know why Paul is writing him. Now, a little bit later he will, uh, but he's just extending his greetings toward him, and if he hadn't read ahead yet, he doesn't know why he's writing him. Okay? But exactly right, Tony. If I'm thinking about the grace that's been bestowed upon me, I should be willing to bestow that grace upon other people. If I'm thinking about the peace that I enjoy because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, I should be willing to try to live peacefully with all men. And so we've got a lot of different things going on here, as we've already talked about. In verse 1, he talks about how that Timothy is behind him in this, how that uh, he makes a play on words that Philemon, his name, uh, means to love someone to the point of kissing them. And he calls him Philemon and refers to him as our dearly beloved. Talks about him being a fellow laborer. Talks about his beloved family. And talks about how that he's a part of the church there because the church meets in, in his house. And so now he's getting him to think about how good and how wonderful God has been to him in this one greeting. But he doesn't stop there. Beginning in verse 4, he changes the personal pronouns now to singular. Before, he was, in the Greek, he was using what we call plural pronouns as encompassing everybody. But beginning at verse 4, it's going to be him and Philemon talking. And, it, and the personal pronouns stay single all the way to verse 22. This is, as I said, this is the only real personal letter we have of Paul. Even First and Second Timothy and Titus are, are not personal letters because they are talking to a bunch of people in general. Just the names are on top of it. But here's a very personal letter. And verse 4 begins, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. So the first thing he does, he lets him know that he is thankful for him. Still doing a little buttering up there, isn't he? And that he's always in his prayers. I'm praying for you all the time. Or every time I pray, you're, you're a part of it. And so um, he is making sure that, that he understands how much he loves him and cares about him. The best thing you can ever do for somebody is pray for him, and that's what Paul says he's doing for Philemon. 
But then verse 5. Now this verse will mean more to Philemon as he reads the rest of this book and also after he reads the book of Colossians. You remember that this letter, Philemon, the letter to the church at Ephesus and the letter to the church at Colossae all came in the same package, if you will. And so the church, the letter that went to Ephesus went on to Ephesus, but this came to Philemon, and he read this letter, and then the, the, the church heard the book of Colossians read to them. And so we know from the book of Colossians that not only had Onesimus arrived there in the city, and he's going to find that out in just a moment, that Onesimus is there, but he also is going to find out that a guy by the name of Epaphras is there. And Epaphras works with the church at Colossae. And he evidently is the one who's bringing these letters back. And so here is two people now that, that, that Philemon did not know were in the city of Rome and were talking to Paul. One was one of his co-workers in the church there at Colossae, and the other one was his runaway slave. So look what happens now in verse 5. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Now, when Philemon first read that, he thought, hearing, well, who has Paul been talking to? Well, in just a few moments, he's going to find out it's Onesimus, and a little bit later on, he's going to find out it's Epaphras. So, but here's the point that Paul's making. I heard about you, and the two people I've heard about you, oh, man, I wonder what Epaphras is saying about me. Oh, I wonder what Onesimus is saying about me. I'm his master. But look what he says. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus, toward all saints. Whew, a little sigh of relief there. Not that if he had anything to have a sigh of relief about. But I want you to think about the two things that he would be thinking when he heard these words from Paul that, that people have been talking about him. First of all, the reason why Paul decided to write a letter to the church at Colossae was because the church at Colossae was dealing with a terrible, terrible heresy. Uh, one's something that the uh, commentators and scholars refer to as the Colossian heresy. And basically, it was a group of people who probably were Gnostics, but they were trying to say that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, that he was really not God, he was man. And evidently, this was causing a major problem there in the church. And so Epaphras could come to Paul, and he would say, Paul, this is what's going on, and you need to do something about it. Can you write a letter there to help clear up this issue? And he could have said, and you know that Philemon? Well, he's siding with those people that, that are part of the heresy. Or Philemon, he's not making a bold stand for this. His faith is being attacked, and, he, and he, he's, he's letting his faith waver. No, Paul says here, I've heard about you, and your faith is solid as a rock. And then there's Onesimus. He ran away from Philemon. Now, did he run away because of the fact that he just wanted his freedom? Or did he run away because Philemon was a bad master to have? Well, evidently, after Paul talked to Onesimus, he says, I heard about you, Philemon, and everybody has just good things to say. And once again, as Tony made allusion to earlier, he's, he's building him up. Instead of saying, oh man, that, that bad slave ran away. But you know what? He's thinking, well, Nesimus, he had the opportunity to tell Paul whatever he wanted to tell me about, about him, about me. And I, he evidently, all, all he said is, is, I'm a good master. 
And Epaphras has evidently done the same thing because he says, Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Now, once again, there's a little wordplay going on here. He uses the word all saints. Now, why do you think he said all saints? But he's going to find out in just a moment. Guess who's a saint that wasn't a saint before? And I'm not talking about Saint Bedard. I'm talking about he's a saint. Okay? And so he's setting him up. I've heard about you and how you love all Christians. You love all the Christians. And just a moment, he's going to find out, guess who's a Christian? And so he's still, he's just planting all these things in in his mind here. And then we come to the most difficult verse that's in the book of Philemon. And there's some people who think it's one of the most difficult of all the epistles Paul wrote. Verse 6. Because it is so extremely hard to translate. And there have been arguments among all kinds of different people how to translate it. But this is the way the King James translates it. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now that right there is a mouthful as it is. And if that was the correct translation, totally, we'd still have a hard time dissecting it, trying to figure out what he means. All right, you've got communication of the faith become effectual by acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. If you read it just on face value, it makes you think there's some talking going on, um, and it's based on his faith, and it's become effective. And the way it's become effective is because you have acknowledged every good thing that is in you because of Christ Jesus. And that's the translation, that's fine, but there are some different translations out there. Somebody that has something different, read, read it for me. Yeah, go ahead. Now, that has a totally different flavor from what I just read, didn't it? Read it one more time so other people can hear it. Okay, so now it's changed from something that th- you sound like it was talking about Philemon himself, and now it sounds like it's talking about a whole group of people, right? Okay, and so that's some of the difficulty there. And what was that from, um, Barbara? The NIV, the International Version? And that's probably what else everybody else has. Michael, do you have something else? Here's, here's the deal. The word for communicate here is a hard word to translate. Go ahead, Tony. What do you have? I'm sorry. All right. That kind of sounds more like the, the, the King James Version. Yes, what you got, Roger? What was it, 19? I can't remember what year it was. It 1977, the new version came out of the NIV because I had to correct some problems it had. Um, oh, the Gutenberg. Okay. <laughs> Now, now, a lot of people don't know what the Gutenberg Bible is, but it's the first printed English Bible. Yeah, he's old enough. enough. <laughs> All right, but anyway, the, the, there's a lot of things going on in this, in this verse. Like I said, it's hard to translate, but if you take everything together and you look at the Greek and you do some research and study on it, the thought behind this is, you have been generous before, and you need to be even more generous is the thought that's kind of behind this. There's also the idea, the more that you enjoy the blessings that have been bestowed upon you by Jesus Christ, the more you should be willing to share those blessings with other people. Okay, now you're starting to get some of the flavor. Um, 
the fellowship that you have been given through the saints, you need to extend that fellowship even further. Okay? What are you going to say, to, uh, Grady? Right. That's exactly right. Um, problem is, we, we, he, the way the different verb forms blend together in the different translations, you can't decide if, if, it's, if it's talking about just him or talking about a group of people, but it's talking about him and it's talking about a group of people. And he's basically saying, you've had it good. You need to extend that goodness to other people. You've enjoyed the fellowship of the saints. You need to extend that on. You've been shared with. You need to continue that sharing with other people. The more that you acknowledge that God has been good to you, the more you should acknowledge that you need to be good to other people. And that, once again, he's, he's, still, he, he's not going to get to Onesimus until starting in verse 8. So he's got a lot of preparation he's getting here. You know, he's, get, he's get, making sure that, that there's a big smile on his face before he hears a word that might make him frown. Okay? So, any questions or comments on that? I don't think he's manipulating him. I think that he, is, he knows how to um, talk to people. Um, in fact, in all of Paul's letters, even ones that uh, he's got some serious problems he's going to deal with, he always begins the letter usually with some good things. He'll talk about the church and how they did that and how the ladies make good fried chicken and how that, you know, they, you know, just, he butters them up and then he says, but listen, we got to deal with this particular issue. Yes, Smitty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you immediately become defensive. You immediately close doors for you don't want to hear anymore. And if you could tell them a hundred things that you like about them, but, but you start off with a thing that you don't like about them, then they didn't hear all the things as you said. Yes, Flo. And we even talked about the fact that Paul begins this letter not talking about the fact that he's an apostle. He's not bringing, he doesn't bring up any authority. He brings up the fact that he's a prisoner. I'm in chains. Literally, the word for prisoner there in the Greek is a man who is bound by chains. And so he's already starting off thinking, have some sympathy on me. And if you'll have some sympathy on me, then why don't you have some sympathy on him? Because he's either literally or mentally bound by chains too by being your slave. So uh, all good stuff. I always appreciate all the good comments y'all make. Anything else? <laughs> but verse 6 is about how that um, it's about the sharing and the generosity that has been, he's enjoyed and we need to extend that generosity and sharing to other people. Um, the word communication there is probably a poor translation. The best word would be either be fellowship or sharing. We think of communication, we think of telling somebody. And um, in fact, I read some commentator, I don't remember which one it was, who never, I guess never looked at the Greek, and he said, uh, Paul was talking about how that Philemon had uh, told people about the gospel, and therefore he needs to acknowledge that that works, and he needs to tell other people about the gospel. Well, that's true, but that's not really what the verse is about. But he got stuck on the word communication there from the King James. Well, let's look at verse 7. And this is the last verse he's going to use to, to set the stage for the next thing he's going to talk to him about. Because he's going to start headed toward Anesimus after this. He says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of thy saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Alright, he's, he's really turning it on him now. First of all, he says... For we, and that flies back up to verse 5, toward all the saints. Remember, the sentence started in verse 5 and ended at verse 6, but 
the four here points back to both those verses, and he was talking about all the saints. And another reason why verse 6 lends toward talking about what he's enjoyed and how he needs to extend the things that he's enjoyed. But anyway, it says, verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Now, what an amazing thing to say to somebody. He's saying, I get to experience joy because of you, but not just me, but points back up to all the saints. All the saints that Philemon comes in contact with, guess what? You bring them joy. And then the word in the Greek in verse 7 for consolation literally means the lifting of the spirit. In other words, Philemon, let me tell you something. When another Christian comes up to you and they spend some time with you, you lift up their spirit. You bring them joy. You lift up their spirits. You're an encourager. We could maybe change your name to Barnabas, the encourager. Now, look what he's doing here. You, you bring such great joy and lifting of spirit and I love because of the King James Version uses the word bowels. Um, other versions uses the word heart, but... Neither one of those translates it correctly. It's the idea of something deep, deep inside you. From the very depths of my emotions, because of the very depths of the emotions of the saints, the inner part of the saints, notice what it says, are refreshed by thee, or revived by thee, recharged by thee. Boy, what a compliment. Can you imagine someone come up to you at church and saying, you know, you're one of those guys, you're one of those Christians that every time I see you, you bring joy to me, you, 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 you lift up my spirit, you, you recharge me and revive me and refresh me. You refresh my bowels. That's what he said. <laughs> and then there's people you meet like Austin that... Uh, <laughs> No, seriously, it's funny how that, you know, the Christians are Christians, and Christians have shortcomings, and like everybody else, and some Christians uh, have different personalities than others, but there are Christians sometimes that when you're with them, you just <laughs> didn't get much recharging there. You didn't get much happiness there. In fact, I feel worse than when I came in here. But there's others like a Philemon here that we love when we run into because they're so encouraging. Uh, they do things to build you up. They build up the church. They don't tear the church down. They don't tear down other people. They build up other people. They're just so much, such a joy to be around. They, they refresh you. They recharge you. They make your bowels feel good. Let's, let's get back to what Austin says. Now what in the world is he doing here to for Philemon? Smitty. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and he's not just telling him that that's how it works. He's saying, you're working it. You're working it. And what a powerful compliment. I think of any compliment anybody could get as a Christian, man, this is a compliment. So he, he has really reached the apex of saying, basically, Fleeman, you are a man that has touched a lot of people. In fact, he uses all saints, everybody at the church at Colossae. And there's probably a variety of different ways he has done this. 
Uh, Philemon is, a, is a, a very rich man, evidently, and he may have been generous to other people. The church meets in his home, but not only from a money standpoint, here is a man that has the ability, because of his personality, that he just makes people better people when they're around him. That's the man that in just a moment, Paul's going to say, let me tell you about Onesimus. But he really didn't stop there. Look at, the, look at the very end of the verse. And what does he say? He refers to him as brother. The King James has refreshed by thee, brother. Literally in the Greek, and I don't know if another translation has picked this up or not. Anybody have anything other than just brother? Is there no... Saints? How about the word my? Does anybody have the word my? The word my is in the Greek. My brother. Makes it personal. You're my brother. Okay? Maybe I'm not having the footnote. But he says that you, you are my brother. And then once again, he's setting the stage here because in verse 16, which you should see at your same opening because this is only a short little book. It's only 25 verses. And once again, I'm on page 270 in my Bible. Um, in verse 16, notice what he says, talking about Onesimus. And he says, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Whoa, man, those are some heavy words. Notice what he's done. He says, you are one who encourages everybody. By the way that you treat other Christians. And you're my brother. And just a moment, guess who else is your brother? Onesimus. Now, when he gets there, he has got to look back and see all these things that Paul wrote about him. Talking about how that the church is in his house, how that Paul thanks him constantly for, uh, for, for him uh, in prayers to God, how that uh, I've heard about your love and your faith, and how that you have extended this to all the saints, and how that you have been one who have been generous in, in receiving sharing, and you're going to share it even more, and how that you bring such great joy and consolation and the love in the, in the deepest parts of all the saints, and how you refresh them and revive them, and you're my brother. And then he gets to verse 16, and guess what? All those things that he said about all those people in the church, well, there's somebody else now in the church that all those things need to apply to. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll spend some more time to this when we get to verse 16, but he says, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And um, so there's the flesh and in the Lord part that still plays here. Um, he talks about him being a Christian, but there's another thing going on there that we'll talk about when we get there, but I don't want to get too far ahead, especially because we're, we only have two minutes left. In fact, um, this would be a good place to stop because verse 8 begins the new section because you, it was the first word of verse 8. Wherefore, in other words, I've been building up to, to this point, and now I'm going to open the, the floodgates and let them out, or open the gate and let the cattle out, or whatever expression you want to use. But we'll go ahead and stop there. Um, any final closing comments or anything anybody like to add? All right, well, thank you so much for your comments. There were a lot of good ones tonight.